Hey. Hey. We're here with a podcast called Side Talks. I'm not singing today. And see, I think this is the thing. I think it's worse when we're not when I don't sing. I think it's worse. I don't know if it's worse. <laughs> um, it. <laughs> how do I how do I phrase this? Um, you know, it's a different energy. That's all. Um, uh, I got no songs for you today. Though. That's okay. Um, my name's Cordcraft. I tried to do a little prince in the last episode. And, yeah, that's true. You know, it's how do you do prince though? Like, how do you even bring that energy? How do you even do that? You, you don't. don't. You just don't. So I just kind of like fade it off. Now we did. We did talk about John Mayer at the end of the last episode. Oh, this is so mean. I promised Brad that I would wrap that up. I mean, we're not going to. What's his play worst? More. What do you think his worst song is? I mean, it's obviously as we said last episode. Your body's a wonder. There's, there's got to be other bad ones too, though, right? No, oh, I, I don't hate, know, man. That's... I hate that waiting for the world to change. That thing. Oh, is that's just, bad. That that's is a bad terrible. song. That's a bad song. Again, and that was um, somebody's ringtone once, like in like in one of my classes. I think that. Ugh. We give our waiting, waiting <laughs> on the world to change. <laughs> There, I'm gonna take. I'm gonna play the role of Rachel Morgan today and sing into the mic. Please, um, your body is wonderful. We're here to deliver God. content and to entertain you. And if that means that we have to sing John Mayer, then <laughs> by God, we'll sing John Mayer. That's right. That's what we do here on Side Talks, which is ostensibly a movie podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's becoming. It's evolving into a. A John Mayer podcast. And you know what a deadly podcast it would be if it collided with our other topic, which is dicks. And so get the dick jar out. Um, oh, anyway, oh that's man. a road no one wants to go down is the combination of those two things. So before we get <laughs> off the rails here, let's get going talking about movies. Yeah, let's talk about movies. All right, let's go. Big, big bucks. Today's my day. Let's go. Big bucks. No whammies. No whammies. Big bucks. Big bucks. Here we go. What is that sound? That's it's the striking of lightning. Oh my gosh, we've got a filmmaker lightning round. That's right. And so today's lightning round, we're going to look at the filmography of one of the most significant uh, working documentarians. Absolutely. Um, probably somebody who has done more to define the contemporary documentary form than just about any filmmaker. Hey, you know all that... Uh, and I'm talking to the listener, not you. But okay. you know all those true crime documentaries that you like on Netflix? They wouldn't exist, at least not in the form that you like them in, without the great Errol Morris. So real. That is so real. And way better than oh, sure. the shit you see on these streaming services. Yeah. Truly, uh, truly, We're talking truly. about a filmmaker, folks. Incredible filmmaker. So much so that this is an individual. This is a human being who has invented his own freaking camera hell yeah he his did. own method for interviewing people which is what the interrogator is that correct am i saying it correct maybe it, I, I thought it was called like the interatron or the something interatron. But yeah okay, something like yeah, that but yeah go. you're right I mean, it's, it's like Intera trademarked yeah, yeah. It's, he had to get a he had to get a little funny twist on the word because and so what it does if in case you don't know and if you're listening to this podcast you probably know but it it reflects an image of him who he's generally sitting in another room uh -huh. and it reflects an image of him on the front of the camera so that whoever's being interviewed is looking at him he's actually interviewing them live he's just in another room with the reflection coming right in front of the camera lens and the camera of course shoots through that so you, so we the audience don't see it and it allows the the interviewee to have direct conversation with him as if they're having a direct conversation with us yes it's what makes the footage looks so different in his films. Absolutely. And also in 
some commercials that he's directed, including, yeah. you want to take it from here? Uh, the Elizabeth no, Holmes stuff. Oh, that's right. So some so Elizabeth Holmes hired him. Oh, that hit her, I forgot what about is it, that. Uh, the Theranos. Theranos hired him to do some of the, do some work for them. Or I think it might have been Walgreens who actually might have yeah. been the hiring source. I remember the footage of this in that documentary about Theranos that right. Daryl Morris did not direct. And they, they used some of his footage. And yeah. that's why when you first start watching it, you're like, why does she look so insane? Like, what is going on <laughs> with her eyes? And that is in part because, well, you are looking at Elizabeth Holmes. But in addition to that, you're looking at Elizabeth Holmes as shot by Errol Morris and the Enteratron or whatever the device is. And it yeah, it is wild. Uh, brilliant, brilliant filmmaker. And again, when you're when you are developing your own freaking camera basically to forward your craft you're you know you're you're at the top of your game so let's hear it you generally throw some questions at me and then you answer them as well that's right in this filmmaker lightning round so well the first question is going to be pretty tough which well maybe not tough maybe tough just boil down to one answer a movie by errol morris you love Oh, I love a lot of them, but I will have to tell you that I think Errol Morris's greatest film and one that just continues to double down, double down, triple down, quadruple down on the insanity and the brilliance, and that is Tabloid. Interesting. Yeah. Now, I say that saying that The Thin Blue Line is one of the greatest films ever made. Yes. Certainly a put Errol on the map and also really put documentaries in a lot of ways on the map. I think I think it's a film that not that documentaries didn't exist before El Morris, but it is a do- it, it certainly changed the genre. It was incredibly influential and innovative and wonderful film, but me personally and I did I say this having also seen the world premiere of Tabloid at South by Southwest. I bet that was a wild ride. It was a wild freaking ride. I, I remember walking out of it being like, "Well, it doesn't get any wilder than that and no. it, it kind of doesn't now a lot of people have tried to get wilder than that but just when you think shit couldn't go down any further <laughs> shit goes down further yeah so that is my answer it's what is fantastic yours? um so again with all due deference paid to the thin blue line which as you say is is sort of the standard setter for yeah not only true crime documentary filmmaking but most documentary filmmaking absolutely to be honest um, I, I have to say, my personal favorite Errol Morris film is his first documentary feature, Gates of Heaven, Okay, which is um, a, a beautiful, quirky, heartbreaking, but also deeply humane and funny documentary about the purveyors of a pet cemetery yep. and all the, the folks who come to lay their beloved pets to rest. Um, I, I just adore it. I mean, it's such a, it's such a beautiful portrait, uh, as yeah. so many of his movies are. I mean, some of his movies are portraits that aren't exactly beautiful or flattering as I'm sure we'll talk about soon. Yeah. Um, but this one is, and Errol Morris is a filmmaker who is fascinated by people. And yeah. this to me is his, is the purest distillation of that. And it is his first movie. So perhaps it's a little rougher around the edges than his films would become. But I, I just have such a soft spot for it um, that I, I just adore it. And rough around the edges is fair here because he's working with no budget. Yeah. This is, this is basically the equivalent of being a sort of grad student filmmaker at this point yep. uh, because of the the budget level. And on top of that, the equipment is very different in that era. Yeah. 
So, of course, he's going to innovate further with budget, but also camera technology and our ability to to work on documentaries sort of in the field, if you will, has evolved so much since that era. Now, mm-hmm. it wasn't like the turn of the century That's or right. anything. It was it 1978 was, yeah, was when the film on, came out. You know? but, so it's going to be a little rough, but great work. Yeah, fantastic film. Uh, so what is an Errol Morris movie that you like more than most people? Well, you know, that's hard to say because I think, obviously, Errol gets a lot of credit. Everybody knows he's an incredible filmmaker, blah, 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 blah. I, I think, though, I probably would say American Dharma. I, I thought that's what you would say. We programmed that at Sidewalk. Uh, that movie got some flack. It caught some flack for providing a platform to Steve Bannon, who was at that point. That's what Errol does. I know. That, he gives hey, people rope. To hang themselves. Don't you get it? And And so my answer to this question is his Donald Rumsfeld movie, The Unknown Known, for that reason. Right. Because these are both portraits of essentially repellent people. And he is allowing them, yes, to justify their repellent behavior, more so in um, American Dharma's case, because Steve Bannon is nothing if not a prevaricator, right? Um, For sure. um, Rumsfeld just kind of spins the wheels and doesn't really reveal anything. And that's the point of that movie, right. that Rumsfeld right. is so fundamentally unknowable, despite the fact that he was a public servant and worked in the U.S. government for you know decades, right? And was one of the architects of um, the Bush administration's uh, post-9-11 foreign policy, which is, you know, uh, a minefield of disaster after, you know, one after yeah. another. Um but both of these movies, I think, are important works of journalism. It's not only that they give the subjects enough rope to hang themselves, which of course they do, but they are portraits at a mindset that hopefully um, will, you know, these films can be remembered and appreciated so that when these fucking people raise their heads again or people like them, we you know, can identify their bullshit. And and there's nothing that Errol Morris is good at yeah. if not identifying bullshit. Implicitly, of course, through um the the construction of the film, through the edit, right? Because he's not Michael Moore. He's not in front of the camera pointing his finger at people being like, hey, you're bad. He's also not playing you know, Michael Moore does this thing, and, and this is not a bash Michael Moore session, but Michael Moore does this thing where he's like I'm just the guy. I'm just the guy who's. Hey, you I'm know, just a regular, I'm, regular I, fella. I went through McDonald's earlier today. Morris is. It, he doesn't. He doesn't hide behind some kind of facade of who he is. He he's challenging in a way that's that feels very real and true to who true to the person that he is. Yeah. And I will say that just like you know what what you're what you were mentioning, American Dharma in a similar sense does. He does a similar thing, but with a much different outcome, which is that watch how this guy's going to explode. The minute he's pushed just a little bit, he can't keep his mouth closed. Bannon can't keep his mouth shut. He can't wait to tell. He can't wait to burn shit to the ground. And then, of course, Errol Morris literally burns shit to the ground in this film. Yeah, it's. I understand what people's issue is because everybody's like, don't even let Steve Bannon speak. I get it. But here's the deal. He's going to speak and he's going to do shit, whether you want him to or not. Right. So why not put that in the hands of Errol Morris as opposed to the propaganda machine that Bannon already owns, yeah. controls, Bannon's runs. personal Lenny Riefenstahl, right. whoever right. that is. 
Right. Dinesh D'Souza. I don't know. So I get it. It's a, it's obviously could be a much longer and and very interesting conversation actually, but it is one of those funny films that's incredibly important in my opinion. Yeah. And when you watch it, it is incredibly provocative as you can imagine, but also very telling. And there are a lot of warning signs on it. And yet it is really hard to sell a single ticket to this thing. Yeah. Because anybody who is a following Steve Bannon and as Steve, a fan of Steve Bannon, so to speak, isn't going to go see a Errol Morris film about him because it's going to, you know, blow his ass up. But and anybody who's anti Steve Bannon doesn't want to contribute to the, you know, to hear in this hot air blow. Uh, so I will admit that like when the movie came out, I was like, Jesus Christ, this is the last thing on earth I want to sit through. Right. But I think that was mostly a function of the fact that, I mean, we were living that. You know, That's right. that movie came out, you know, during the Trump administration, you know, while Bannon and his band of cronies were essentially, you know, strip mining the country for profit. Which is really incredible to think about when the, this film was made. He just turned and, it around so quickly. And I will say, I also will think that Errol Morris is in pursuit of, well, he, he's very interested in, in truth and reality and perception, right? And the perception of truth and everybody's different versions of the truth. You can see that in his very early work. Certainly, yeah. that's a lot of, of the ponderings that's of the Thin Blue the Line. The Thin Blue Line, that's the fog of war, that's standard operating procedure, that's so many it's, of his films. It's a real obsession with him. And so his work here, American Dharma isn't just made for the moment, right? right. American Dharma is made for for all of eternity as a as this sort of document. I agree. And and Errol Morris is going to continue to kind of toss these things around. So these these films are meant to to stick. Right? Yeah. Anyway, enough about that. Um, let's continue. That's you know again that's why I think that movie is built to last. Right. For sure. Uh, is there? A, I found this kind of difficult to answer myself. Yeah. A movie you don't like as much yeah, as other I, there, people. Yeah, there are actually. Okay. There are actually. And I would say mm, one of those probably is Fog of War, even yeah. though I like it fine. It, it just, And then the other would be Standard Operating Procedure. Uh, it's fine. It just didn't – it didn't bring the Errol Morris level of complexity and interest and, I, you know, I, I'm not – Look, it's a great film. Yeah. I just have really high expectations of, of Errol's work. So I haven't seen everything he's directed, which means I've either, got right. a bunch of stuff, you know, yeah. aside that's going to delight me one day. Uh, with that said, I don't really have an answer to this question because I've pretty yeah. much loved everything that I've seen. Of Understandable. Um, My complaints are mild here. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, the, those two that you mentioned, I think, are fantastic. They are. So They are. Um, I, I don't know if that's a cop-out or just, you know, a measure of the esteem that I hold El Errol Morris yeah. in. Um, yeah. So, sorry for copping out, if that is indeed a cop-out. So, uh, what's an Errol Morris movie you'd like to revisit or you think you need to rewatch? Um, you know, probably Gates of Heaven, because I don't think, as you mentioned, great film, wonderful, lovely, amazing, and early work. But I haven't seen it since film school. Yeah, it's been a it's been oh fifteen years since I've seen it. Too. Yeah, so I'd, I'd like to catch up on that. There's a pretty slick Criterion Blu-ray that packages Gates of Heaven with Vernon, Florida, which I've never love, seen. Oh, you will love it. Yeah, that's, and and it's a really efficient, brief little runtime. And of course, you pass through Vernon, Florida if you ever go to the beach, go huh. to the Gulf uh, Coast. So it's a fun one. I I often stop in Vernon to grab pizza or something just because i'm like hey errol morris yeah it's a, if especially it's it leans more gates of heaven so you should definitely check that I'm out i'm sure i'll love it but uh i will also add 
I, I'd love to revisit Mr. Death because I I've never seen that one either. Vaguely remember it. I can tell you that my memory of it was being like twenty or thirty minutes into it and being like, "What are you doing, Errol?" And then it it takes a turn and it's it's quite. I remember it being quite a wild ride and and a very provocative and again another one of those. Why are we handing the microphone to this particular person? Yeah, um, kind of moments. Anyway. Well, my answer is The Fog of War. It's yeah. been yeah. way too long since I've seen it. I mean, that's not like a you know rewatchable movie in the conventional sense. But it's I, really not. But I, but I only saw it once, and I was very, very young, and I probably – I have to imagine I would have a deeper appreciation for it sure. if I came back to it with a little bit more historical context, knowledge about – you know, Vietnam and who Robert McNamara yeah, was. Yeah, I think um, that's a good point. And I think what these films are really important and what where hello history teachers, where this could really come into play is within the context of a class, having that as a resource yeah. is just incredible. It's a primary right? document. You're hearing yes. from the people themselves in their own words. And, you know, you're free to sort of weigh again, as in the fog of war or the unknown known or, or American Mr. Dharma. Death. Or, For that matter, Mr. Death, which I haven't seen, um, you're you're free to weigh these people's word against you know the historical record and make Standard your own conclusions. Standard operating procedure. Yeah, it's exactly. kind of wild when you think about what learning resources he's creating, really. And really um, fundamental and terribly important documents from some of the most tumultuous times in U.S. history. Um, a a real. I mean, you know, documentary filmmaking, uh, I don't want to dilute it to like a public service, right? Because I feel like documentary filmmaking sometimes gets thought of more about the message than the, sure. the filmmaking craft on display. And Errol Morris is certainly an excellent filmmaker, you know, behind the camera and in the edit. But the fact of the matter is that so many of his movies are essentially um, – historical artifacts and should be uh, treasured as such. Um, yeah. And then the ones that aren't are just really fucking entertaining, like Tabloid or Gates of Heaven. I just, I love. Right. Or, or even the B-side, which, you know, as its title it's implies, is, you know, kind of this tossed off little, like, exercise for Morris to some degree. It's a portrait of one of his friends. But as you say, it's just. Precious. I mean, it's just a lovely movie. It is a lovely film. So. And if for no other reason, I mean, it's also, yeah, incredibly uh, talented filmmaker and and very, I mean, this guy shoots commercials. They hire him to shoot commercials for a reason. He, he does a really good job yeah. at the craft. But also, it's really fun to hear him in the next room yelling the questions like this <laughs> at people, yeah. yeah, which is how we could do the podcast, Corey. He's the best. Hey, Errol Morris, if you're listening, come to Sidewalk. Come hang out with us. Bring uh, any movie you wish. We'd like it. We'd like it a lot. <laughs> And we we already we have an intro for this, so I don't know why I'm making a sound effect with my voice. This what is else is a, new though? Then, right. <laughs> this is a this is a long been a long time, Corey. We haven't done this in a long because we've been running out of cities. We've been running out of cities, so so but the I pick thought, a city segment you know has what? returned. So what if it's really difficult? That's half the damn point. So I've got four cities in my hand. Okay, different pieces of paper. That's right. There's that lovely sound effect. I'm going to read one of them to you, and you're going to tell me the first film that comes to mind from one of these. Oof, not very big cities. Great. Or really, I shouldn't say they're not big cities, but they're not necessarily well-known cities. Okay. Uh, at least for filmmaking. 
Maybe for stuff like, you know, sponges or something. <laughs> okay. So I'm picking one. Do you have do you have a preference or I, I, I don't, but no whammies, please. Okay, here we go. All and right. you got Oh shit. The whammy. Spokane, Washington. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck takes place in Spokane, Washington. Are you oh, kidding me? This is one's really unfair too. What is it? Spokane, Washington. It was inspired by Vision Quest, which I mentioned in a previous does that podcast. take place in Spokane? It takes, it takes place in, in Spokane. Do you know of anything else? I don't, do, some, do any of the Twilight movies end up in Spokane? No, they end up in Seattle. There oh, are there is right. some other shit. There is some other shit. Okay. And I don't one of which maybe will stand out a little bit to you, but can you think of anything? So what's interesting, what part of what stuck to me stuck out to me about Spokane was when I'm watching Vision Quest, Spokane is very much a character uh-huh. in this thing. And and I was like, is that Niagara Falls? Is that you know, we, we knew we were in the U.S., but it's like almost like Canada, which I guess would make kind of sense there. And then there was some other thoughts. Oh, it's Buffalo, New York. It has a very particular look. And then some, I think we're like, maybe it's Detroit, but it is indeed Spokane. Wow. Uh, some waterfalls, some other stuff. But there are some other, and again, Vision Quest from 1985. There's some other films that were made in Spokane. Can you think of anything at all? No, I've been stalling I'm drawing a, a blank. Here. I'm drawing a complete blank on this. So, not shot in Spokane, uh-huh. but supposed to take place in Spokane, Red Dawn. Really? 2012 Red Dawn? Was there a remake? Yeah, and it was okay. awful. So, it was the remake of Red Dawn, supposedly Spokane. That's what I, my researchers told me. Sure. And then another film that I know you've bitched about, or I think you've bitched about. Okay. Tag, from 2018. I, I don't know if I bitched about it, but it's not good. Yeah. That takes place in Spokane? Yeah, and then um, there there aren't a lot. I mean, there was an article that was like, these are our hometown, you know, hits. <laughs> and, you know, Vision Quest is the top list. Something called Endgame from 2006 with Cuba, Good- Cuba Gooding Jr. Nope. Yeah. That doesn't exist. Anyway, you didn't you didn't land on the on the jackpot there. You got the shit end of the stick. And so that means in the recent episodes, you've gotten Pick a oh, City wrong. Oh, don't have to dwell on my... And- You've gotten series what's of this failures. Shit wrong. Get it together. And you I lost to- the five uh, five minute fight, so I'm loser. Just, it's a losing streak. <laughs> but in fairness, yeah, Spokane. I know. I'm so mean, but we're running out of cities. I will say, I I, I did pull these cities from a list of cities by population and okay. went down, and I was like, okay, well, we've hit most of these, so these are. They're not little tiny cities. No. There is one in here, though, that you would have, would have been much kinder, but I'm not going to tell you what it is because we'll hold it for a potentially a future episode okay. of Pick a City. Well, I'll try to do better next time. Please. Please. Well, thanks so much for listening to this episode of Side Talks. We're your own personal cinematic longhorn and texas roadhouse <laughs> okay do you All know right. the difference um i do not th- the texas road is that the one where you, you get the peanuts and you I put the peanut the shells peanuts. on the on the floor you just get you just eat the peanuts and you throw it all right well, there well, like a big pigsty. Your Longhorn is is your basic sort of fast casual steakhouse, I guess. I guess so. I don't, don't forget know. about Logan's. Oh, oh, Logan's is what I was thinking of. Here, we could have come in here with a with a third with a Logan's. What is the difference between these three? Logan's might be the peanut place. I think Logan's, Logan's is the peanut place. is Lena, the peanut place. Lo- mm-hmm. Texas Roadhouse is question mark question mark, and then uh, Longhorn is. Question mark, question mark. I feel a Side Talks podcast sort of road trip 
remote going coming in our future where we attend Logan's Longhorn and Texas Roadhouse and discuss the differences between the three. But I'm the only one of us who eats meat. Yeah, but I I can still order a baked potato. No bacon. So you're gonna you're gonna evaluate the baked potatoes yeah, and I'm gonna I'm gonna eat, eat three I can still steaks. Eat some peanuts and throw on, the shells on the ground. Okay. That's for wow. real. Texas Roadhouse reminds me of Roadhouse, which is what's making me the most excited about it. But anyway, if anybody has any knowledge, I mean, like, are we going to go in and see Patrick Swayze just, you know, uh, keep no. his shit in order? <laughs> there are several reasons why not. I know. <laughs> R.I.P. y'all. Anyway, uh, if anybody wants to email and tell us the difference between Longhorn, Texas Roadhouse, and Logan's, we'd love it. If you are a representative from Longhorn, Texas Roadhouse, or Logan's, we would love for you to sponsor the bro- uh, the podcast. And yeah, we'll, hell yeah. We'll I'll eat, eat peanut shells and throw them on the floor in here at Batwell Studios. Uh, is that okay, Brad? Sure, go for it. All right, cool. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Batwell Studios. Thanks to Revelator Coffee, where you cannot throw a peanut shell on the ground. They no, would they be will. very upset they will by you, I escort would imagine. you off the premises. Be rude. Probably. Sidewalkfest.com or at Sidewalk Film on social media. Come see a movie with us at the Sidewalk Cinema. We've got so much good stuff playing in the month of May, and we are starting to turn our attention to June because that's the time of year it is summer movie season lots of great stuff coming out in the next few weeks so you're going to want to join us and see a movie on that big screen party 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 batwell studios podcast division your words our expertise